Thank you for having me. Let's say a word of prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and be with us. Amen. Our world is filled with violence and cruelty. We hear about refugees and killings, racist and ethnic acts of atrocity all the time. And as God's people, we pray. We pray for those who are hurting. We pray for our own families. A few weeks back, my family was running for their lives, and I was afraid, and I asked people to pray. Um, that's the reason why I wear this. In this bracelet, it says, I am N. N is the word in Arabic that means Christian. And ISIS put that insignia on Christians' homes so that they become target for all sorts of violence. As I put this on, I remember them. Even if I don't say the prayer, the fact of putting it on, wearing it, is a prayer to the Lord to say, God, remember your people who are experiencing difficulties. I love the passage that we just read, Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 to 14. That passage gives me comfort. To know that our Lord Jesus was a political refugee, he had to run for his life, and probably he and his parents experienced some of the things I'm going to talk about has always comforted me greatly. Being a refugee is hard. Some refugees suffer more than others, depending on where you are, what's the reason why you are a refugee. And having been a refugee myself, I know how difficult it can be. I was a world refugee for 18 months, from 1999 to 2000, in my country, the Republic of Congo. My family did not reside in or benefit from refugee camps' help. It means that we didn't have blankets, we didn't have food, we didn't have water, we didn't have a safe place to stay. Um, instead, we ran from one place to another and we tried to get help as we went. So I would like to summarize what it means to be a war refugee in a few words and then I will be expounding on each of the words. So the first word is chaos. If we can put it uh, on the PowerPoint, should I use this? Oh, I went too far, I guess. Sorry, I'm just trying to use, here we go. Um, imagine a complete state of confusion, words like, Mayhem or pandemonium would describe the situation better. Picture children crying, adults shouting, people running in all directions. That's what happened in the morning of January 25, 1999, when soldiers entered our city of Dolizi. Even though we could not leave that first day, uh, like our neighbors were leaving, going to different places, because my dad was paralyzed after a stroke, we experienced the same confusion, the same yelling, the same crying out to make sure that everyone was accountable. Those who went to school came back. Those who were starting to go to work came back. So we can all huddle into the house and wait and see what's happening. War also means high anxiety, uh, really high. 
when we heard bombing and shooting, it seemed that everything was going straight into our hearts. Uh, we experienced some of the things that are here, a heavy sense of dread, diarrhea, rapid heartbeat, feeling faint as if our legs would not hold us any longer. I'm sure our blood pressure was high and the stress was really, really high. And some of these things, we didn't experience them only when war came, but it's something that came very often. When we we'll hear shooting, we'll be afraid. When I came to the US, uh, my first 4th of July was really chaos because we celebrated Craig's birthday and then I started to hear shooting. I was afraid. I went to Craig's office. I said, Craig, what's going on? Something is wrong. People are shooting. And he was like, it's okay, Medin. It's just fireworks. I do not celebrate the 4th of July. I'd rather stay in my home and see them from afar rather than go because it's the same experience, feeling inside. Um, we walked and walked and walked because our lives depended on it. There was no other way to run. Those who had cars were killed because of their cars and people took what they had. So the only thing that could take us were our feet. We were really exhausted and at the end of the day, our feet were swollen. I remember Lud. Lud was my nephew, nine-year-old nephew. The only thing he was carrying during war was a lamp, an oil lamp, something that was very, very light. But I could see Lud walking like an old person, bent over because of tiredness, weariness, hunger, thirst. And everyone walked, even five-year-olds walked. But being a refugee also meant experiencing danger in so many different forms. I mean, our lives were always in danger of receiving a stray bullet or finding yourself being raped by someone like this lady who was gang raped in the village where we were. But we also found danger in just crossing a river. I remember going from one village to another, we came to a river, everyone was running because the soldiers were coming. And the river, the only way to cross the river was a rail. And the thick part of the rail, that was what we were going to use to cross. So most people who came and stopped there started to cry. They didn't know how they were going to cross that river. Down there were tree trunks, rocks, and everything else. And when we looked a little bit farther, there was no way. It was the forest, dense. So what happened was that my brother, Emmanuel, God gave him some strength that was out of the ordinary. He crossed my dad. My dad was paralyzed on one side. And so he was hanging on Emmanuel only on one side. And it was something that we did not want to see because we all picture they're going to fall. And my mom just turned around and started to cry. And, and pray. But Emmanuel not only crossed my dad and all of our belongings, he crossed us. I remember Emmanuel saying to me, saying, Medi, don't look down. Just look at your feet. And don't, don't look at my back. Look at your feet, put one foot after another. How did we do that? I really don't know. But dangers like that, we had dangers. There was a mountain that was called, you will see. We really saw. 
I mean, we came to a clearing, there was nothing. It's like, there was like an, uh, a ditch or something, and then when we came to the end, it was a mountain. It went down, very steep. There were only little rocks. No small tree where you can hold on to or just hang in there. So if you fall, you can break your neck or something like that. Um, same, same thing. I mean, Emmanuel got there, and we were like, we are not going to make it. Uh, we tr we, the kids, it was fun because they played a game, seeing who can get there sooner and so on. They did it, but my dad, that was another story. So we prayed. Emmanuel tried his best. And I remember when Emmanuel was going down, he slipped. It's like the world stopped for a minute. That, that, that seemed like an eternity. And then he regained his strength and he continued. I think at that place, the people cursed our president more than I have ever heard. If someone could have died of cursing, that would have been his day. But anyway, <laughs> it didn't happen. Um, people experience being thirsty. I mean, of course, we, we, we drank water from rivers. Now, in the rivers, everything was thrown into there. Dead corpses, animals or people, filth, rags, everything. I mean, you can be drinking water and then you see just filth going. You close your eyes and say, God bless this water, and you drink it. You don't have anything else to do. Um, people drink water from the rain. I mean, we, we kid ourselves saying it's pure, but it's not pure. Okay, we had water from wells. I remember the day I wanted to see what was in the well. I shouldn't have gone. It was horrible. Um, but there were times where we were so thirsty, like Emmanuel that day. He was the strongest one. And he was the one pushing my father on a wheelbarrow. And we were, people were awakened from a village called Mubotsi by shooting and everyone just ran in the forest. And we've been walking for hours. It was very hot. There was nothing in sight. We didn't know where we were going. And the only water we had was for my father was sick, for the children. We could kind of go on for a while because we didn't have time to take all these things and we couldn't carry water anyway. It was heavy. Emmanuel came to a place where he said, I can't go on. I need to drink water. But there was no water. I was like, Emmanuel, maybe we'll see a village. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll see a river by the, um, by the forest. He said, Medin, as you can see, the forest seems very far. It's all plain. We need to go. And we can see the light of the, the shooting behind us. He said, we have to go, but I can't go. I don't have any strength. I said, but there is no water. And he looked at a puddle. He said, well, this is water. I said, Emmanuel, you can see the worms squirming in that. It's really bad. It's filthy. It's dangerous. It's full of, he said, Medin, I need to drink. And I saw my brother take his hands, put in the puddle of water, filthy, and drink because there was nothing. So that was sometimes a big problem. We were always hungry. We ate once a day. We ate all kinds of things. I can tell you that rats taste like chicken. You can try that. Uh, but <laughs> we ate ferns. That was horrible. Ferns were bitter. I mean, they're full of iron. That's what I've heard. I think the Lord used them to save us. It was a miracle because it was the dry season. Ferns were supposed to be extinct, but there was a drizzle 
every time, and the ferns were just reproducing, people started to call the ferns refugee food because that's what we ate. Even though in our tribes we didn't eat ferns, people ate ferns. I remember Aimé saying, I'm tired of ferns. I am going fishing. So he made a pole and went to the river and he had a machete, you know, the long knife that we use. And he got there and he settled himself and he heard, boo. He said, wow, what's that? And then he started to remember. Because when you live in the city, you remember things that people say, what, what happens in the villages. He said, oh, they say that a snake sounds like a dog. He started to look around him and there was a big snake. He was just looking at him. He was like, oh Lord, even though he had a machete, he was, he was shaking so much that he didn't have the strength to kill it. And the snake was just looking at him. He's like, wait, 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 wait. He looked at the snake, there was a bump on the snake. He said, oh, the snake has eaten something, so I can kill it. He killed the snake and started to haul it. And as he was going, he got into the village. Somebody came to him and said, do you eat snakes? He said, no, we don't. We can trade you for some other type of food. So we were able to eat something decent that day because Emma killed a snake. <laughs> but some other stories are really bad. Like somebody told us, I'm taking you to my garden. Come in. And we had cassava leaves. We pounded the cassava leaves with uh, Lucy. And then she said, oh, no. I said, what's wrong? She said, look at all these legs, grasshopper's legs. I said, oh. There's some leaves that we did not wash properly. And she is like, what do we do? We should dump them. I said, and then eat what? We are going to eat. So we pounded them. We cooked the, the cassava leaves. We gave it to everyone. Everyone was so happy. Like, wow, this is so good. You've never cooked cassava leaves so good. I was like, yeah, grasshopper protein. <laughs> As they enjoy the food, I almost felt like I was going to throw up. But God in his kindness helped us. But being a refugee also means being sick almost all the time. We suffered from mos mosquito bites, then we had malaria, we suffered from typhoid, and other types of things. We were all skin and bones. I will never remember, I will never forget the day I almost lost my son. We were playing, we didn't have medicine, so we just... We had a bottle of oil, palm oil. My dad prayed for it. We call it anointed oil. Whenever somebody was sick, we use it. And that day, David was sitting there talking one minute. He talks a lot. Thank God he talks. And, one, and the, the next minute, he was like, Mom, Mom. I jumped from what I was doing. I touched him. He was cold. I called my brother, Emmanuel. Emmanuel was like the leader because my dad was um, paralyzed. I said, Emmanuel, I think David is going. He said, okay. He went into the room and grabbed the oil. My father was like, what's wrong? Who's sick? We all knew that that oil meant somebody is sick. Emmanuel said, all is well. He came and wrapped David, and he said, we need to go to the, the hospital. I said, we don't have money, so there is no need to go there. He said, well, I have a friend. He has a small clinic there. Well, kind of. Let's go. So we started to run. And Emmanuel was calling David's name. David, David. Every time David said, <sighs> he was always responding. And thank God he responded. And we got there. Uh, Emmanuel's friend looked at us and he said, you're really lucky. I only have one uh, injection left. 
and you don't have to pay. I know you don't have money, but you, when you get money, you give it to me. And he put, it, he put the injection, and to see my child started to warm and cry was just, I mean, I was crying. My only prayer throughout the day was, as we were running, was Jesus, Jesus. But it just brought tears, more tears um, of happiness. I think one of the hardest things for me being a refugee was to be separated from my loved ones. Um, it was easier to endure lack of food, being thirsty, and lack of other basic resources as long as we were together. But when one person was missing, we had a time when two of our brothers were separated from us. We didn't know what has happened to them. We usually had dreams. We'll see them at night, and then we wake up during the day wondering, are they sick? Are they dead? What happened to them? It's just killing not to know what's happening to your family. I mean, a few weeks back, when there were problems in Congo, the president cut all the internet connection, phone connection, I was going crazy. I was just crying. You can ask those who work with me. I was just crying all over because, and I wondered, how did we do it during war when we went for months not knowing if one was alive or dead? And of course, the day we reunited with them, we celebrated, thanking God for his kindness. But war is also desecration of life, as if life doesn't have any value. Mode was 20. I think I would say still a growing boy. He was hungry. Even though we had fled to a neighboring village, there was no food. We didn't have money. Uh, and even if we had money, there was, no, there was no market. It was war. He said, I'm going back home. My mom left food. And it was only yesterday. I think the pot is still there. He didn't tell his mother because his mother would have said, don't go. But he asked my brother, he said, Eme, let's go together. Eme's like, yeah, let's go food. And they started to walk and run. And then Eme felt a check in his heart as if somebody was saying, no, don't go. Eme said, Mode, we're not going. Let's go back. We will eat when we'll eat. Mode is like, no, what will happen? It's okay. Our village was the last village. We'll sneak in. Eme said, no, I'm not going. So Eme came back. Mode went. We didn't hear from Mode. The next day, Mode's mother went back to her home. She found her son dead. He was shot in the back, and the food was there. Life as if it didn't have any value. People were burned. The day Bonjabor, even though he was a very bad man, the day he was burned was a horrible day in the village. I didn't go. There were so many people who went there. But I will always have the image of what I saw the next day. Because they burned him and left him there, and we were going to the market in the morning. I didn't know the body was still there. And what we saw was dogs eating his insides. And I, for, for months, I just couldn't get that out of my mind, or I just couldn't. I mean, even eating meat was too much. So people are killed, people are abused in so many kinds of ways. But war also means temptation. People were tempted. 
that girl came to us and she said, I am so sorry, I have HIV. How did you get that? A soldier gave me sardine and bread and I spent the night with him. People were tempted in so many ways. <laughs> when my niece brought a bowl of soup with nice, I mean, tomatoes. We didn't see tomatoes and meat and so on. She was about 13, a beautiful girl. She came in, I said, where did you get that? She said, well, that soldier gave it to me. I said, take it back now. Everyone was mad at me. All my siblings said, Medine, give the girl a break. I said, yes. And then when she's being raped, we will not give her a, a break. I said, come here, come here, praise. I said, okay. What kind of food did we eat before war? She said, well, we ate this food and bread and so on. I said, we will eat that again. Now, would you please take it back? Because temptation got people in trouble and people lost their lives or their dignity or so many other things because of that. And one last thing I'll say is that war brought hopelessness and despair. So many people went into depression because of that. Children lost the ability to talk after they witnessed people being shot and dead in front of them. And well, women died in childbirth. A teenager, she gave birth to twins. Both kids died, she died. We cried for that young woman. We were helpless, we couldn't help. The hospital didn't have any medication and you can see her life draining out of her in front of us. Well, there was no school, there was almost no hospital. There was no TV, no Xbox or DS or something like that. Kids were bored and so most of them play war. I will pray when I'll see my toddler starting to play war and play war and starting to shoot at people. But if I stop here and leave you with this picture, I will be lying because God was there. God was there in the midst of war, in the midst of our lives as refugee. We experience love, love among each other. When you go through difficult times, you can either go apart or get closer. And I mean, like in our family, whoa, it was so wonderful to see each other, to pray for one another. Of course, we fought. We fought for a food or a piece of cassava or something like that. But the love was there. And the love that I had for my child, you wouldn't have messed with me. So we experienced that, but we also experienced God's love. In the midst of all of that, God gave us his love. We experience God's miracles. I told you about Emmanuel drinking from a puddle. Um, as we continue on, we came to a place where it was now the forest, but there was no food. We didn't have anything. We were hungry. The children were crying. And we were like, Lord, we cannot go on. And suddenly, it was like the wind. We didn't know that some of the big trees we were under were trees that were giving fruits wild fruits that we knew. So we had food coming from heaven, falling, and we were able to experience that. But one of the biggest miracles we experienced was Emmanuel's friend in France, when they heard that Congo was going through difficulty, before even the war, they collected money, about 800 US dollars, the equivalent. And they send it to someone who send it to someone who send it to someone. The money ended up at the border of Gabon and Congo. 
They didn't know we will find ourselves not far from the border. So the last person sent a message and said, tell Emmanuel to come. We barely have anything to eat. We didn't have money. Emmanuel going to the border of Gabon meant that he would be going into these trucks, big trucks loaded with grenades and so on and soldiers. We just prayed for him. We didn't know if we'll see him alive. He went there, got the money, came back. And we were all like, so, so, he said, when we eat, we will talk. He didn't want to talk in front of everyone, but we didn't understand. When he showed us things like soap, cookies, and money, lots of money, we were amazed. God knew we will need that money. And many, many months before we even uttered the prayer, he touched people to collect the money and send it to us. God is the God of miracles. Miracles are a foretaste of the kingdom of God. They are evidences that God is still at work in this world and he loves his people. And as such, they confirm the promise of the future when God will heal us fully and wipe all tears from our eyes. During war, we experience hope. Yes, we did. I experience hope in the person of Jesus. When I was in my lowest, Jesus came to me and said, it's okay, whether you live or die, I am with you. And that gave me the strength to go. I usually call that story my memory place, but I don't have time to tell the whole story. Um, <laughs> and we experience joy in the midst of hard circumstances. Um, our hearts can experience joy, joy even when life is very difficult. Waking up in the morning was like, wow, I'm alive, I can wake up. Or, I mean, when I was sick, my, my hands were all like this, I couldn't feel them because of arthritis or whatever. I woke up in the morning and they went, oh my, without medicine, they, I don't know what happened, but I was very happy. So we experience joy uh, in the many little things of life that we take for granted, a child's smile or, you know, an older person bringing you some cassava or somebody just saying, God bless you. We experience joy in the midst of all that. Now, I have to say that I did not like being in war. And sometimes we do not like the journey we're on. But God is in our journey. God was in my war journey, even if I didn't like it. And God is in whatever journey you're going on right now. God knows what's happening. Whether you're having problems with finances, or you're sick, or you lost a loved one, or you have physical difficulties, emotional struggles, God is our light in the dark. Looking back, I believe I gained more than I lost during war. If given a second chance, will I say no to this ordeal? Maybe, maybe not. I think that despite everything that happened, I gained in growing closer to God and maturing as a human being. I found treasures in the dark. What kind of treasure did I find? Well, war helped me discover who I am. I am a sinner forgiven by grace will help me see who my neighbors are and how I should treat them. 
the people I cursed, like the president of Congo, whose death I prayed for, well, they deserve the same grace I have been given. And God helped me to see that. What taught me who God really is? He's my father and my, walk, my rock. I can stand in him. When we walk through the dark valley, we discover precious treasures that we will not discover otherwise. If you're going through a dark tunnel, take courage. God is with you. We're going to spend a few minutes, maybe two minutes, in prayer. If you want to join me, we can pray in groups of two or three where you are. Pray for the refugees. We have a refugee family that's coming. We can pray for that refugee family, or we can pray for the people you know who are in a situation, who have been a refugee or who are a refugee. Some of the things we can pray for are provisions that God will provide for food, water, medicine, basic needs for these people, protection. We can pray for emotional and spiritual healing. We can pray for the people to find their loved ones if they're separated from them. We can pray for the people to reach a safe place. And we can pray for the people to know God's heart and pray for those who are here as they go through a period of transition to find healing into their lives. Let's pray. God of Israel, God of the refugees, God of all people, we pray that you will hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.